Genesis chapter 26, we, last Sunday, got into the first eight or nine verses. We're just going to kind of get a running start. We'll start back with verse one, and then we'll work our way. We're going to cover quite a bit of turf this morning, so kind of buckle up. We're going to be moving at a fast pace. Verse one, Genesis 26, we're told there was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, who is Abraham's son, went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all of these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heavens. I will give to your descendants all of these lands, and in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, commandments, statutes, and laws. Let me give you just a little context for where we are in the flow of the book of Genesis. Isaac here, Abraham's son, is 60 years old when Jacob and Esau, his twin sons, were born. Additionally, we know that these twins, Jacob and Esau, were 15 years old when Abraham died. Making, when we get to this passage, Isaac at a minimum of 75 years old when this famine settled into the land of promise. It would appear from the text that, Abraham, uh, that Isaac's plan had been to travel through this area known as Gerar and ride things out in Egypt. But the Lord, we're told, appeared to him and shut down his plans. And with that context, we see verse 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He's obedient to the Lord. He doesn't go to Egypt we're told that the men of the place, the men of Gerar, this area, asked about Isaac's wife, Rebekah. And Isaac said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when Isaac had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. They were being playful, not something you do with your sister. Then Abimelech called Isaac, and he says, quite obviously, I love the sarcasm in that, she is your wife. So how can you say she is my sister? So Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on her account. Now, just a couple quick things. First, this is not the same Abimelech that we were first introduced to back when Abraham had originally traveled into the region of Gerar back in Genesis 20. Not the same Abimelech. We've noted this before. I'll reiterate it in case you're new. Abimelech is the title for a king, very similar to Pharaoh. It's not a specific name, it's a title. Lots of different men held the title of Abimelech just in the same way that they held the title of king. So this is a new character, a new king in the area, a new Abimelech. Secondly, you have to kind of ask yourself, right? Like why would Isaac replicate the identical sin Abraham, his father, had committed not only in Genesis 12, but also in Genesis 20. Like Isaac is committing the exact same blunder. And, and think about it. Isaac had not been alive to watch his dad pull off the sister-wife shuffle. He hadn't watched his dad do it. It wasn't by observation. Now I'm sure Isaac knew about those stories. It's why we have it in the book of Genesis. I'm sure he was even aware, understood, that such a behavior was wrong, that it was selfish. But shouldn't have Isaac known better? He's committing the same error of his dad. And the truth, I don't have a good answer for it. Like why Isaac would commit such an error knowing that it was stupid. I don't have an answer for that. Like Isaac should have learned from the mistakes of his father. He should have been aware of his natural tendency, that his natural tendency would be to cower in fear instead of choosing to walk by faith. He fell into the trap of his dad. 
Isaac should have held to the truth. He should have trusted that God was his strength, that God was his protector, that no one would be able to harm him, no one would be able to harm his wife. Like, why would Isaac lie? Just like Abraham. I don't know. And yet, while I don't have an answer as to the why, I can say this. Learning from the mistakes of your parents is much easier said than done. Isn't that the truth? Like, for example, has there ever been a moment where your kid just did something and you, were, you had it up to here and you just reacted and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness gracious, I just sounded like my mom. Or you get into an argument with your spouse and you're not even being rational and you're overreacting and you thought to yourself, oh shoot, I'm acting like my dad. Have you been in a situation, a circumstance, where you made a decision and you stepped back in hindsight and you looked at it and you thought, I just did the very thing my parents would have done and what they did drove me absolutely crazy. And yet I just did that. Once again, I'll say it, learning from the mistakes of your parents is much easier said than done. Understand. From an applicational standpoint, Isaac committing the same sin his father was notorious for doing. That sin, it should serve as a reminder for all of us. Here's the truth. If you are not walking in the Spirit, if you're not daily reckoning self dead, so that the Spirit, His influence can reign supreme in your life, if you're not daily dying, this is what I know. Your natural man will so easily and quickly emulate your parents' shortcomings. Not just because you have their genetics. Not just because you've learned their behaviors. It's part of who you are. Your parents' sins will be your default apart from Jesus. And so if you don't want to commit those sins again, you should walk by faith. You should die to self. You should see control to the Spirit. I love my dad. There are things that I don't want to emulate. And he would say that. Don't emulate those things. I will. If I don't seek to walk in the Spirit. And the same is true for you. Well, we're told in verse 10 that Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have laid with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Abimelech's not playing around. Then Isaac sowed in the land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And Isaac began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Once again, if I sound like a broken record, there's a reason. But here we find yet another example of what? We're told, right? The Lord blessed him, Isaac. Did the Lord bless him because he had been a model citizen? Did the Lord bless him because he had been obedient? He just lied for years, had this charade, this scam, committed the same error of his father. He had acted like an idiot. And yet, what happens? God still blesses him. We see another example that God's favor, his grace, it's not tethered to your behavior. It's rooted in his sufficiency. That he loves you and he'll bless you abundantly. Isaac, we're told, he sowed in the land and ends up reaping a hundredfold. In one year's time, he prospered and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. 
the idea here is that Isaac's wealth grew, so much so that his power and influence in this area, well, it, it became quite uh, expansive and thus quite threatening, which is why we read verse 14, second half of the verse, that the Philistines, seeing this, they envied Isaac. So they stopped up the wells, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. They filled these wells with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. Now Moses' purpose in recounting this, this, this whole story was to demonstrate how little respect the covenants, how little respect for covenants the Philistines had, which is an important lesson because the children of Israel, as they're reading through this story, are camped outside of the Jordan River, about to re-enter the land after four or five hundred years away. They're about to re-enter. Abraham had made a covenant with Abimelech. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 21, verses 22 and 23, Abraham and Abimelech, we're told Abimelech spoke to Abraham and said, God is with you in all that you do. Therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with my offspring, with my posterity, but that according to the kindness I have done to you, you will do to me and in the land which you have dwelt. They had a covenant, a deal. Abraham gets the animals, gives these seven new lambs. Like there was a whole thing. And yet what happens now? This deal seems to be one-sided because now Isaac, Abraham's son, is in the land. A covenant was to be binding between Abraham, his descendants, the Philistines, and what's taking place. They're reneging on the covenant. And so Abraham's making it clear, these people you're going to encounter are notorious for breaking promises. Keep an eye out. Don't fully trust them. Moses tells us that immediately after the death of Abraham, the Philistines break the covenant by stopping up the wells of water that Abraham had dug and therefore owned. And here's why the Philistines would do such a thing. Because Abraham's family, under the patriarchal leadership of Isaac, had become more powerful than even the Philistine nation, which is an amazing thing, right? One family here is threatening an entire group of people. That's how much wealth and notoriety and stature that this family had acquired. They're a force. And as a result, this stopping up the wells was an act of sabotage. They were actively trying to force Isaac and his flocks and his herds out of the land because, well, if you can't get water, you have a problem. You see, in nomadic cultures, water, water was life. I mean, it was everything. Without it, without water, without life, it was impossible for the herds and therefore one's survival to ever happen. Without water, your future would be in doubt. You see, the purpose in Isaac going around and redigging these wells his father had dug that the Philistines had filled with earth, it was not nostalgia. Oh, I remember playing around this well when I was a kid. Let's, let's restore it for good old times. No, it wasn't nostalgia. Like he needed the water for survival. Having a constant and continuous access point for living water was essential to life and vitality. And yet, what do we see here? Isaac, he's powerful. He's prospered, greatly prospered, continuing to prosper. They envy him. They're acting in sabotage. I mean, Isaac could have flexed some muscle, right? He could have dealt with this. And yet, what do we see? Instead of fighting back, Isaac simply goes around the valley of Gerar, digging again the wells of water which had been previously owned by his father. He's patient. And we're told in this vein, the second half of verse 18, that Isaac called, he named these wells, the names which his father had called them. And names have meaning, we'll go through it. Isaac's servants dug in the valley. They found a well of running water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So Isaac called the name of the well Essek. That means contention. There's contention. Because they quarreled with him. So Isaac dug another well. They quarreled over that one also. 
So he called its name Sitna, which means hatred. Isaac moved from there, dug another well. He's really good at digging wells. They did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, which means room. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, that we shall be fruitful in the land. And Isaac went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him that same night. So as soon as he arrives at Beersheba, the Lord appears and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent in this place, and Isaac's servants also dug a well. Isaac finally decides to leave Rehoboth. He's like, I've had enough of these people in Gerar, these charlatans. I'm out. Goes, goes back north. The idea is that the famine has subsided. It's now okay to return back to Beersheba which is the, the place he grew up. Abraham, as we've seen, and Sarah spent years upon years upon years in this entire area known as Beersheba. And we're told that upon arriving that very night, the Lord appeared to Isaac. And what does the Lord do? The Lord reiterates all of the promises that he had first given to him when he began his journey south at the beginning of this famine. You see the promise reiterated here the same one restated there at the beginning of chapter 26. And I love the fact that in response to God's grace, which he had demonstrated, right? Not on account that he earned it or deserved it, but he had placed his faith in God's promises. And he held fast to that faith. He made mistakes, but God blessed him. God's blessing, understand, in our lives it's a greater blessing than physical, material possessions. And I should say that. Sometimes we read through this and we're like, so God's grace means that I prosper. Hey, I'm going to go yield. I'm going to go to the, the stocks. And God, if, if I have your grace, I expect a hundredfold increase this year. Right? Come on, you and me. That's how I know you like me. You're going to give me money. No, money's a curse. The reality is that when we see about God's favor and God's blessing, our prosperity, friend, is a greater treasure. What did Jesus say? Store up treasure where? In your bank account? On your property? In your fields? In your 401k? No, 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 no. He says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where no one can take it. And it doesn't corrode or corrupt. You see, our prosperity, this grace, what it yields, it's a spiritual increase. It's a benefit. You know, and I find that people get envy of, of that. People look at the life of someone really abiding in God's grace, walking in his spirit, being filled. They look at that person and they're like, man, they don't have the car that I drive. They don't have the house that I'm in. They don't have the stuff that I have. All of these things I went out and bought so I would be happy. And they don't have any of it. And yet they've got something I want, happiness. They've got a joy. They have found something that I'm still looking for. You see, God's grace, his favor, it does yield a prosperity. But not a prosperity of riches, physical riches, but spiritual riches. In Ephesians, we're told that we've been given all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. And what does Isaac do in response to God's favor? He settles down right there. He wants nothing else, right? He's in that spot where the Lord appears and the Lord speaks. And what does he do? We're told he builds an altar. Not to seek God. This is to honor all that God has done. It's a reciprocal altar. And he worships the Lord. He calls on the Lord's name. This, this, this phrase gives the idea that he's continuously calling. It's not a one-time thing. That he's communing with God. He pitches his tent there. He wants his whole family there. And he digs a well. Though Isaac had been given so much, it was a relationship with God he treasured most. Well, verse 26, Abimelech come, came to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, 
Ahuzeth? I don't know. You take a guess. Who's just one of his buddies, one of his friends. Fifth call, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me? Since you hate me and you sent me away. I like that, just speaking truth to power. But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Sound familiar? So let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, since we have done nothing to you but good, and we sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Like, what a group of snakes. Like, this, this statement's comical, right? We have done nothing to you but good. And have sent you away in peace. Like, that's nothing shy than, than fake news. Like, that's not based in any type of reality. That's not the story. We just saw it, right? They treated him terribly. He dig all of his father's wells, they put dirt in. He redigs them, they fight over it. He's like, okay, you can have that one. He moves somewhere else, digs another. We want that one too. Like it's just on and on. There's no peace. That's why he leaves. That's why he gets out of town. Like they had been envious of his prosperity. They had filled his father's wells, forcing him to redig them for survival. They even contested the new wells Isaac had dug, forcing him to finally throw up his hands and leave. Like these men trying to now make a covenant, they were guilty of sabotage. I'm sure it's in this moment. Isaac wanted to say, I can't stand it. I know you planned it. I'm going to set it straight, this water gate. I can't stand rocking when I'm in here because your crystal ball ain't so crystal clear. So while you sit back and wonder why, I got this painting thorn in my side. Oh my God, it's a mirage telling y'all it's sabotage anybody beastie boys we good we good on that I thought I delivered that pretty well I I I practiced that actually (laughs) verse 30 on that note you didn't think you're gonna get a beastie boys reference this morning that I I got you there like keeping you on your toes so Isaac made them a feast They ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning. They swore an oath with one another. Isaac sent them away. They departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said, we found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And then we're told, we're given a really weird detail. When Esau was 40 years old, He took wives, Judith, the daughter of Berea the Hittite, and Basemith, the daughter of Elion the Hittite. And these women were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Chapter 26 here closes on a really low note. Though God had instituted marriage in Genesis to be a heterosexual covenantal relationship between one man and one woman, Esau here does something terrible. Now, this is not the first mention of polygamy in Scripture. You can go all the way back to Lamech, one of the descendants of Cain, who actually introduced the idea. But this is the first in like this family lineage who's now stepping out of bounds and doing something that God finds deplorable. Esau here. It's not just an heir that he took two wives. Part of the problem here is that he also took wives from the Hittites, as opposed to going back to Abraham's family, like his father Isaac had been instructed to do, and as we'll see Jacob later. Now, let's be honest. There are some great heroes of the faith who will marry more than one woman. King David, Moses. Like, there's some studs that make a terrible mistake It's not the two women, it's the two mother-in-laws. But you should note, please understand, man, I got some looks on that one. We'll just keep going, just roll with me. 
though it does appear in the Bible that God allows polygamy, that he allows it, please understand, polygamy was never, ever, 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 ever sanctioned by God. In actuality, polygamy is not only an insult to the equality of the genders, central to the divine blueprint for humanity, but it makes this oneness essential for marriage, that marriage union, one flesh, one person, completely and absolutely impossible. Because we're told in Hebrews 12, verse 16, that Esau was a fornicator, or literally, that he was a sexually perverted person. The, the word, it can actually even imply that he was prostituting himself for money. Like, he was a pervert. And yet, the idea of him being a fornicator seems to imply that Esau was one of those type of men who had a sexual appetite that was humongous and self-serving. Like in Esau's case, and, and this will contrast him from Jacob, Esau married two women not out of love. It would appear from the text that Esau married two women for pleasure. His sexual appetite simply wasn't satisfied by being faithful to one woman, but required two, and likely more than that. There should be no surprise that this entire situation, seeing their firstborn son do this, proved to be, quote, a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. The implications being that this marriage was not something that Esau's parents were approving of, and therefore his actions were in direct defiance to their wishes. Chapter 27, verse 1, it came to pass. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered and said, Here I am. So he said, Behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now therefore, please, take your weapons your quiver, your bow, go into the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that, I may, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, before we get into this story, let me just set some context for the chapter. First, what occurs, what takes place, is about 37 years following the close of chapter 26. Once again, the whole point of Moses is not to document every detail, but only the ones that are significant to the overarching story. 20, uh, 37 years have passed. We're told here that Isaac was old. So old, right, that he was fearful that he could die at any moment. The irony <laughs> is he would live another 43 years. So why he thought, I'm going to die at any moment, is only speculation. I think the best theory is that at 137, that was the age his brother Ishmael died. So maybe he had caught word that his brother had passed away, and he's thinking, hey, we share half the same genetics. Uh, maybe I should get ready. Isaac's 137. He'd lived to the ripe old age of 180. What's important is that this makes Esau and Jacob, in this story, 77 years old. Not exactly how you initially read the story. You think of them as being teenagers, as being younger men. No. These are two grandpas, right? These are older men. The second thing for context that's important is that God had been clear already, right? That the birthright and the blessing were Jacob's. And even when they were wrestling in Rebekah's womb, God had gone on the record, right? Two struggling. But the younger of the two, he will get the blessings. As a matter of fact, the older will even serve him as a result. This was known. This was clearly stated. Everyone is aware. Yes, Esau, as the firstborn, it would have been customary for him to have received the birthright. But no, God had a different plan. Additionally, Esau has already sold the birthright. 
So if there's any question, God's ordained it, and Esau's already given it away for a morsel of soup. Though Isaac here intends to bless Esau by having him go out to kill some gang, to make him some food, right from the beginning, know this. Isaac is fully aware that he is about to act in full and utter defiance of God's will. And not only that, Esau is also about to renege on a deal that he had made with his brother. Now, we're going we're gonna to read a lot. A few comments. We're going to get the story. Ultimately, this story is given to us to be absorbed in kind of the macro perspective versus getting into the details. Let's just kind of dive in. Verse 5. Rebecca was listening to Isaac as he's speaking to Esau. And Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring it. So Rebekah goes to Jacob, her son, and says, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, saying, Bring me game, make me food, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, so two baby goats. I will make savory food from them for your father like he loves. I'm going to cook it up just like he likes it. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. Verse 11, but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, 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 look. Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. It's literally why we call him hairy. But me, I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and then I'll seem like a deceiver to him, and will bring a curse on me and not a blessing. But Rebekah said to Jacob, let your curse, <coughs> if this happens, be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Get them for me. Amazingly, while Isaac is in defiance to the will of God, and Esau is reneging on an agreement whereby he had already sold the birthright to his brother, now Rebekah is what? Is she doing the right thing? No, she's scheming around her husband's back. <laughs> Jacob also joins in the dysfunction. Chapter 27 is probably one of the worst, most depressing stories in the Bible as far as the dysfunction within a family, especially an important family. <laughs> Jacob, understand, his concern here isn't deceiving his father in order to receive the blessing, right? What's his, what's his concern? Hey, mom, this is a great plan, but there's some loopholes, right? There's maybe some, like, what if he, like, wants to feel me? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of baby smooth, and old Harry is Harry, and uh, then I'll, the, the ruse will be up, and then he'll curse me. Like, his concern is not like, Mom, we really shouldn't deceive Dad. That's just really not a good thing to do. It's he's worried about getting caught. That's his concern. Well, verse 14, Jacob went, got two choice kids of the goats, brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And Rebekah gave the savory food and bread, which she prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So Rebekah's thought this out. I'm going to make up some grub just like Dad likes it. Side note, Esau must have been a really hairy dude. I mean, to take literally the skins of these goats and, and put them on his arms and on his neck and thinking, yep, totally look like my brother now. Like, that dude should have joined a shave club or something. So there's a plot hatched. There's now a concession made. So Jacob, verse 18, went to his father and said, My father. And Isaac said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? So Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac, now he can't see. He said to his son, How is it that you have found game so quickly? So Jacob replied, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. That's probably actually true. Rebecca <laughs> might have been the Lord his God. Look at the lies. 
Look, four of them. I am Esau, your first, firstborn. No, he's Jacob the younger. I've done just as you told me. No, the instructions were for Esau, not Jacob. Arise, eat of my game. No, Rebekah cooked the meal. The Lord your God gave it to me, gave the game. No, he had gone and actually taken two sheep out of his own herd. Like the lies on top of lies. So Isaac, he's a little skeptical. His senses aren't sharp, but he's not an idiot. So he says to Jacob, come near. I want to feel you, my son, whether you are really Esau or not. So Jacob's fears were rooted in some reality. So he came near Isaac, his father, and he felt him. He said, this is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's hands. So he blessed him, and Isaac said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. He says, Bring it near to me, that I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near. Isaac ate, brought him wine, he drank. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come now and kiss me, my son. Jacob came near and kissed Isaac. Now more senses are going to betray him. Because Isaac smelled the smell of his clothing. Jacob's wearing Esau's clothing. It smelled like a field. So that's some gnarly cologne. And so he blessed him. He says, therefore, you smell like him. May God give you the dew of, of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brethren. Let your mother's son bow down to you. Now, he thinks he's talking to Esau, right? And look at the defiance in that. He thinks, yeah, God said the oldest will serve the younger. Ha! No, it won't. Instead, may your mother's son, Jacob, bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So it happened. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. Now there's kind of a pause there. You should, as you're reading it, dun, 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 like this is that moment. Now things are tense. Esau had also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to him, who are you? So Esau said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. But Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. I've blessed him. And indeed, he's going to be blessed. Verse 34, but Esau heard the words of his father and he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But Isaac said, your brother came. He's put it together. And with deceit has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He's took it, took my way, my birthright now. He's taken away my blessing. And he said, Esau says to Isaac, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants, with grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted his voice and he wept. Verse 39, Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven and above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke, speaking of Jacob, from your neck. By the way, this is a, the prophecy about the descendants of Esau would become the Edomites. The descendants of Jacob are the Israelites. And if you, you study the relationship between those two nations, uh, it's, it, there's an ebb and flow. It's very interesting. F side note, all of you have seen uh, a city of the Edomites. You've actually all seen it, seen one of the cities. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, the rock city of Petra is actually an Edomite capital. So that's one of the cities of Edom. These are the descendants of Esau. And this prophecy happens to deal with that relationship. So Esau, what's more importantly, hated Jacob. 
And that's pretty strong because of the blessing with which Isaac blessed him. And Esau said, the days of mourning for my father at hand, thinking he's going to die. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself about all of this by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laman. Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I'll send and bring you from there. Why should I also be bereaved by both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, because she can't pull this scheme off without his approval, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Now what she's saying, Heth, was one of the sons of Canaan who became the Hittites. So when she says the the daughters of Heth, she's saying these two women that Esau married, they're driving me nuts. Like heaven forbid Jacob marry the same type of women. Like these daughters of Heth. Oh boy. So he said, she says, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of them, like those other two, I'm going to die. That's basically what she says. What good will my life be to me? So chapter 28, verse 1, Isaac called Jacob, blessed him, charged him, and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pada Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, And take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And basically what this is, is it's a a restating of the blessing Isaac has already given. And so instead of stating it twice, we're given the story, and now we're given what the blessing actually looked like. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Pada Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pada Aram to take himself a wife from there, that he blessed him and gave him a charge, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padaharam. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So he's thinking, maybe this was the whole gig. Like I married these two women. This is what's caused all of my frustrations. So Esau goes to Ishmael's descendants and took Malaleth, the daughter of Ishmael, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, blah, 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 whatever, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. So Esau's like, oh, that must have been my mistake. And so he goes to the family. He just is making a lot of dumb choices. Now, let's kind of close this out. By making a couple of just quick observations. Once again, the story is not for us to spend five weeks on. The idea is that the story is to kind of been to be consumed in its entirety and then processed accordingly. First off, here is the problem with the entire situation. The blessing was already Jacob's. Meaning there was no way Isaac could give the blessing to Esau. Please understand, it's what makes the whole thing screwed up. The blessing was Jacob's. Nothing could change that. The fact is, even if Isaac had been successful in doing what he planned, God wouldn't have honored it anyway. Like, understand the blessing. When we talk about the blessing, it's who would be a part of the messianic line, through whose family would a savior be provided. That was only something, that blessing, only God could give it. Isaac couldn't give it any more than Abraham could give it. It was something God bestowed. 
For example, Abraham was completely content with what? That blessing going to Ishmael, wasn't he? And yet what did God say? Nope, that's not the one I picked. The one I picked is Isaac, who hasn't even been born yet. You want to choose the firstborn. I'm choosing someone else. The blessing couldn't be handed by a man to another man. It could only be given by God to man. Even though Isaac seems bent on giving it to his favorite son Esau, God had chosen Jacob. And because of this, Rebekah and Jacob's actions are equally deplorable. Sure, Rebekah acted because she feared her husband was going to make a mistake that had far-reaching consequences, but her fear wasn't based in reality. It was based in a lack of faith. Rebecca's reaction should have been to go to her husband and be like, that's not your blessing to give. God has chosen the, the lesser. I know you don't like him as much, but it doesn't matter. You want God to honor this? It goes to the other one because whatever you decide, it's gonna go to him because God said, and God's word doesn't return void. Like that should have been, Rebecca should have had faith. You want to give it to Esau? That's fine. God's not going to honor it anyway. It's already been given. Like the reality of thinking that, that Isaac was going to mess up God's plan. It wasn't true. No man can mess up God's plan. Rebecca acted in deceit when she should have trusted. You see, God didn't need Rebecca and Jacob's help to accomplish his will. And that's one of the misconceptions about this passage. It's to somehow think that because the ends end up being correct, that the means were justified. Isaac acts terribly, Esau acts terribly, Rebekah acts terribly, so does Jacob. No one is innocent in this story at all. God wasn't at the mercy of Jacob, wasn't at the mercy of Isaac, wasn't at the mercy of Esau or Rebekah. Jacob had received the blessing, the birthright. For one reason, God said so. The favor had been given. And no man, not even Isaac, could reverse that. Once again, instead of trusting God to fulfill his promises, this mother and son erred greatly attempting to help out God and what God wanted to do. Sadly, everyone's actions and this story would carry with them tragic consequences. That God's will was going to be accomplished. Their actions yielded terrible results. Esau, because of this story, Esau ends up hating his brother Jacob. Like even to the point that he's been on murdering his brother. Their relationship, as we're going to see, would be fraught with problems always because of this story. No doubt, Rebecca's deceit. Rebecca's deceit, you can imagine, created problems in her marriage with Isaac. She deceives him. There's no respect. There's no honor. There's no conversation. That would yield a result, right? I think, I think the, the starkest example of the consequences. So what is Rebecca's plan at the end? She catches word Esau's wanting to kill his brother. So what does she say? She says, hey, you need to go to my brother. Go, chill out. She even says, for a little while, like a short stay. Until your brother can cool off, and he'll kind of forget about it. You know, he's temperamental, Esau. It's kind of how he rolls. Just go, take a little vacation, and then when your brother's chilled out, I'll send word you come back. Like, that's the plan. Here's the irony. That short stay would last 20 years. This day, this day, when this story happens, is the last time Rebecca sees her son Jacob. She will die before Jacob comes back. And Jacob was her baby, her favorite. There was a consequence to not trusting God. There was a consequence to not relying on God to accomplish his work, his way, and in his time, right? Rebecca. She would never see her son again. Not only that, Isaac would be on his deathbed by the time Jacob comes back around. They miss out on their son. 
and subsequently Jacob, misses out on his parents. And yet, I will say, while everything we've pointed out is true and thought-provoking and has application, the thing that strikes me the most about this story, while yes, there would be severe consequences for not trusting God to work God's way, that those consequences were real and tangible, this is what blows me, blows my mind. God ends up using all of this dysfunction to accomplish his purposes anyway. If I had been God, I'd have been like, I'm out, man. I'm done. If four knuckleheads. Like this is, are you kidding me right now? I've already told you how this rolls. I've told you how this works. I've, like, like Isaac, what are you doing? Esau. Come on, man. God's in heaven looking at Rebecca and Jacob and thinking, serious? I want to give this to you. You don't have to scheme. You don't have to try to earn it. You don't have to try to achieve it. The means don't justify the ends. And yet God uses all of this dysfunction, all of this disobedience, all of this lack of faith to do what? Exactly what he wanted to anyway. Can we be honest for a minute? I think if you, like me, look back on your life and you think, man, I've done some stupid things. I've rebelled against God. I've resisted God. I've tried to do what God wants to do my own way and messed it all up. And I just look back now and I say, you know what? I'm still where he wants me to be. Like, that I didn't, like, that he still worked through my dysfunction to accomplish his will. That he doesn't need my obedience to still accomplish his will. Once again, this was God's plan, right? And all of them are disobedient. And what's the result? God's will still happens. Now, was there an easier way to go about it? Yeah, there's consequences. And yet, to me, it is an incredible example, this story, of God's grace. Because we see God working through total dysfunction to still do what he wanted to do anyway. Right? And what does that mean for you and for me? <laughs> God can work through all of your dysfunction to still accomplish his will. Now, if you would like to minimize practical consequences, just submit, you know? Like, minimize the dysfunction. I'm not, like, I'm not saying, hey, go out and be dysfunctional. God will work anyway. He will work anyway. But this poor mom never sees her son again. And this brother hates the other and wants to kill him. Those things... Oh, that's the results of a lack of faith. You feel me? So, Father, Lord, we thank you for this example. This story.